Welcome to AdultBobbleStories.com on Vicarious God and His Vicarious People. My name is Jeff and I have a story to tell. We're doing a hop, skip, and jump through the Word of God. If this is the first time you've ever been to the Bible, it's a good place to go because we're doing hop, skip, and jump. We're not doing every word or verse by verse. We're just going here and there. So if you ever wondered what this phrase came from or that church phrase came from, if it's even in the Bible, if it's even in the Scripture, you know, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness, is that even in Scripture? Well, no, it's not. But, you know, as greater as he that is in me is in this world, is that in Scripture? Yes, it is. So we're going to see what's in Scripture and what's not in Scripture. We're going to do a hop, skip, and jump. So let's begin, and we're going in, into the book of Galatians today. So let's start with Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ, the God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. So first thing I have to say on this, Paul says that he wasn't sent by men, and uh, not from men, nor by man. It means he wasn't, you know told this is who you are by a bunch of people and sent out to, to do the people's bidding. You know, there's too much of that going on. There's way too much people who are, who are looking for somebody else to tell who they are, looking to another flesh and blood person to tell them who they are, what they're called to do, what they're good at, and so forth. But Paul is saying that he was called by God. He was called by the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do. So he didn't need man to tell him who he was and what he was to do. And each one of us need to get to God ourselves because we all have a personal relationship to God if we receive Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. So it is God who created us and made us and he knows what he made us for. So we need to have that confidence that he is, that he'll send us out. We don't need somebody else to tell us. That doesn't mean we, you know, we can't ask somebody about what they see in us, what our strengths and weaknesses are as you grow and, you know, and be fine-tuned. You want to do that, but ultimately you got to believe not in yourself, but you got to, you know, believe in what God has created you to be, that God is, uh, is behind you and is sending you out. This also doesn't mean that God doesn't use man to lay hands on us and send us out and recognize those things. And we're, and we're going to get more into that in these scriptures here in a little bit in the book of Galatians, because we do need men to send us out. It's, you know, they're not the uh, origin of that. They're not the one to initiate that. God is, is the one that does that. But, but they, later on, we'll see why, you know, how that all works. So let's hop, skip, and jump down to uh, uh, verse, well, let's just keep on going, I guess. It says, Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. So Jesus Christ gave us to take away our sins, not just to give us forgiveness, not to give us a, a, an escape from hell clause, but to save us from sins because sin is what brings hell. Um, to our, into our lives to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of one God the Father to whom glory forever and ever amen goes on and says I am astonished that you're so quick quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ who are turning to a different gospel to a different gospel you know there's a whole lot of different gospels out there there's a lot of flavors of gospels out there but there's only one true one let the real let the real Jesus Christ, let the real Savior of the world, let the real sacrificial Lamb of God please step forward. And so all the other ones can be shown that they're false. There are different Gospels. So let's go through some of the different Gospels. You know, one of the one of the different Gospels, there's no Gospel at all that's really showing up, is the universalism, which just says that, you know, Jesus died to take away the sins of the world, which he did. And there's a scripture that says exactly that. But this different Gospel, the one that leaves out Jesus, says that, you know, uh, that everybody's saved, you know, that everybody's going to make it to heaven, that, that Jesus paid the price for all, and so there's no need to repent, there's no need to even acknowledge Jesus, because Jesus did everything and nothing was on us. Well, there's a big problem with that on that, because because God does require a response out of us. We cannot save ourselves, but there is a response. We need to respond. We need to acknowledge. Another different gospel is, you know, that's becoming more prevalent nowadays is the gospel where you do need to acknowledge Jesus Christ. And that is true. You need to acknowledge him. You got to believe in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So you need to acknowledge him. That, but it goes on to say that's all you need to do. You just need to acknowledge them. Once again, there is no need for repentance. There's no need for a life change, you know, and so forth. All you have to do is just add Jesus, add the belief of Jesus to the, your many other faiths, your many other beliefs, your many other ideologies or whatever. Just kind of add him. Find some kind of place in your closet for Jesus and, 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 and so forth. 
But there's an opposite gospel, which is no gospel at all. Opposite of that, which is one about works or 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 your trust and repentance. Works meaning meaning you work to God, you receive Jesus and what He did for us. But now you now you have to maintain that salvation based on your behavior, based on getting everything right, based on getting your eyes dotted, your T's crossed, get all your P's and Q's. So it's like Jesus, you like receive Jesus and then all of a sudden you're handed over back to the law and, and back to salvation is now back in your court and now you have to maintain it. That's no gospel at all either. The scripture says that, that if we're saved by Jesus, then he will also keep us, that he will keep us for the day of judgment. He'll keep us you know, through all that kind of thing. He'll cleanse us. He, you know, no man can clean his own heart, but, but God can cleanse us. But there's also a slightly different gospel, which is not necessarily based on the law, but it's based on repentance or really penance is where you have to do is acknowledge your sin. Well, Scripture is not talking about acknowledging sin, but acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. Romans 10, 8, 9, 10, 11, I think. It says, you know, if you believe in your heart that Jesus raised from dead and confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord... You shall be saved. It doesn't talk about if you confess every sin that you've ever committed. I mean, who can even remember that? I mean, most of us, and I say, let's go all the way and say probably, all, not probably, all of us. I mean, there's sins. We don't even know there's sins. We don't know the full counsel of God. We haven't, you know, studied for a lifetime the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy to find out all the sins that we've done it, you know, committed. So how can we even confess all the sins if we don't even know all the sins that we've committed? But many people who live this different gospel, which is not a gospel that saves, is their total dependence on being saved is their ability to confess their sin, to you know, or even to repent of their sin, to get all that sin. Well, that's back to works. We do need to confess our sins. We do need to repent from our sins and, and separate ourselves from our sins, but we cannot do that in and of ourselves. There's a certain way of doing things. So you got so you got a false gospel in this ditch, you got a false gospel in this ditch, you got a false gospel below the ditch and above the ditch, and you got false gospels everywhere. So what is the one true gospel? Is that Jesus Christ did die to take away all of our sins of the world, but we first but we've got to receive that. And if we receive that by faith and not by works, receive what Jesus did. And because we receive what Jesus did, we receive, we become born again, receive this power within us to keep us until the day that, you know, that the world is judged and say a judgment. And, and we continue to make that decision to stay with Jesus. And now there is repentance. There's repentance. It says repent towards God in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It means I see the, er the area that God has showed me where I'm wrong. So I repent of it. I acknowledge that it's wrong. Then I ask for God's help to cleanse me of it, to get me out of that situation. So I no longer live in that way. But there's a, but there's a certain way you've got to do it. You've got to have faith, you know, faith about works is dead, but you've got to have faith first because faith has to go through the door first. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and there's no other way to the Father but through Him. You've got to go through your faith in Christ that He took away our sin, that it finished. He was finished at the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, He said, Father, it is finished. And the repentance comes following because of that faith. It's, you know, it's kind of dragged along. It's kind of powered on. Jesus says you must be born again to even see the kingdom of God. And so I like to use this analogy. When you're born, when you're, when you're born in the natural realm, you, you really need to be born head first and then tail second. We are the head, not the tail. Because if you're born first, you know, any other way, if you're born coming out butt first or feet first, you know, it's called a breech baby. You could easily have your umbilical cord wrapped around your neck and, you know, cut off your oxygen. We need to be head first. And so there's a certain way you've got to go to God through faith first. You know, faith has got to be the first thing through that door. But just like a cord that has a heads and tails, there is a tail. So on the backside of that, there needs to be true repentance because you've gone to that door correctly. There is a repentance, acknowledging of, your, of the sin that you know that you've committed and then a changing of direction. So, so you're no longer committed to that sin, but now you're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our eternal salvation is not based on our ability to repent. Our eternal salvation is, is based on receiving by faith what Christ Jesus did for us. And because of that, on the back side of that, we begin living a life of repentance and turning away from sin and, and, and relying more and more on Christ. We're bought with the price and not our own. And so the more we're of Christ, the more we understand that, the more we give ourselves to him. But it's Christ and Christ alone and not any works of ourselves. So, so Paul's talking about a different gospel here. 
And it goes on to say, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. Now, this actually happened. You know, we call it Mormonism. There's actually the uh, Joseph Smith actually was told by an angel that there is a third testament. And and so there is a different gospel that he's presented that, you know, what Jesus did at the cross was lost. And so the, now there's a whole different thing we have to do. And so angels do come, uh, false angels or angels of Satan do come with a different gospel and so forth. He says, let him be eternally condemned. You think that's harsh. Well, there's only one way, one truth, and one life, and that's to the Father, and that's Jesus Christ. There is no other gospel. There is no wiggle room. There is no place, you know, to, to add or take away from that. So you are eternally condemned if, that's, if you're trying to get to God any other way. It says, and it goes on, it says, let him be eternally condemned. And so let's hop, skip, and jump to, uh, we're staying Galatians chapter 1 down to verse, right before verse uh, 17, so the end of part of verse 16. It says, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So here's Paul talking about, um, he did not consult anybody when he was called. He, he sought God. He wanted to make sure God told him what he was created to do, who, who he is in Christ Jesus, and what his role is in the kingdom of God. You know, there's, I know a lot of people that have been saved for, I mean, some of them their whole lifetimes. You know, uh, they weren't born saved, but I mean, they, they spend a majority of their life being born, but they still don't know their position in Christ. You know, they still don't know what they're called to do. They're still looking for their gift or their talent to use for the glory of God. But we need to seek God. We need to get get alone and seek God and let Him really speak to us. And it's not going to just happen once. We need to can be continually, you know, told by the Lord what we're created to do and what our purpose for, it, at least in this lifetime, and how to build up the kingdom of God. That needs to be told to us over and over. And we need to see evidence of that by us walking in faith and seeing. And, and, and accomplishing what God has told us to do. So, but many times we look at other people and people are, are not naturally focused on somebody. In fact, it takes a mature Christian to not only have their own interest at our heart, but also have other people's interests at heart to seek God. But even if I was to seek God or, you know, on your behalf, God's only going to tell us so much because God is Lord. You know, Jesus is Lord. He wants to guide us. He wants to direct us. And anybody who gets in between that Lordship, you know, is gonna, is, there's going to be trouble. So each and one of us need to go to Jesus Christ ourself, to the Father ourself, to find out what we're called to do. And once that happens, then, then other people are going to see that. So let's hop to skip to chapter 2. And let's go down to verse 4. And it says, This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. So once again, here's some false brothers. What is a false brother? Well, Jesus says, my brothers and my sisters and my mothers, my fathers are those who do the will of the Father. So false brothers are the ones who, don't do not do, who do not do the will of God. They may claim to be Christian. They may be self-proclaimed Christians. And, uh, you know, if you're a Christian, you have to be self-proclaimed because you've got to confess with your mouth. So nobody else can tell you a Christian. I can't tell you a Christian. I can't help you there. I can just tell you what the gospel is and hope you believe. But I can't tell you if you're born again or not because that's, that's in the heart and that's what God's got to do. And you got to believe that. But anyway, there's false brothers who infiltrated that, that are spying on freedom. You know, there's people that hate the freedom we have in Christ. There's people that hate the freedom to, to not have shame, guilt, and condemnation that we can easily dust ourselves off when we fall short of the glory of God because of what Jesus did for us on that cross. And there's people that hate that. So they want to bring us under the same bondage that they are, the same guilt, the same condemnation, the same control, the same rules and regulations of this world that give you no freedom, you know, to be human, to be a, you know, to be a human being. They're always trying to be a human doing, changing. You know, our society is even trying to change what a human is. We need to, you know, connect with, with, you know, with computers. We need to become more robotic. We need to change our DNA. We need to add spice and DNA from other animals because we're so inferior, you know, as, as we see in ourselves because we hate ourselves because we're not connected to the branch, which is Jesus Christ. So we have false brothers who want to make us slaves to the same things in the world. Why does the world fight so much? You know, because they believe that, you know, 
that without Jesus Christ, you don't have any faith for the future. You have no faith for eternal life, you know, for eternity. And we are born with eternity in our heart, it says, I think, uh, says in Ecclesiastes. Eternity is placed in our heart. So if you believe that you're going to live for etern you know, eternity, but you're going to die, you're going to fight for what you have because, you, because well, you, you just don't want to lose it. But for those who have eternal life in Christ Jesus, we can take a loss because we know, you know, we'll get everything back that we've lost. Let's hop, skip, and jump down to uh, verse uh, phrase in verse six. It says, "God does not judge by eternal, etern external appearance appearances." So we need to be careful on that because there's a lot of times it's you know we have two people and they're doing the same thing and one person is greatly repented and sorry what he did and the other person is just okay with it. You know, we don't know what's going on in the heart. We can't look into the heart. Every once in a while, we may, may get a glimpse of the heart. But overall, we're not the judge, and so we're not going to see. We're going to judge the out, outside um, appearance. Now, does that mean we should just judge the outside? Well, it means we need to get quiet, and the Lord will tell us, you know, uh, many times tell us what's going on so we don't just judge on the outside. And, this, and the Scripture says, The fear of the Lord does not judge by the sight of his eyes or the hearing of his ears, but makes right judgments. It means everything we see is not what should you know is is right. Not everything we hear is right. There are things we don't see, and there's things we don't hear that are being that are bring clarity to any situation. So anytime we see or or hear an, a brother fall, a sister falls, somebody fall, we need to get get before the Lord and pray for them because there's things that we don't see and things we don't hear. We don't know what's going on. Let's go on to verse six. In the verse six is another phrase. Is or, uh, okay, we just was just there. God is not judged by external appearances. Let's hop, skip, and jump down to verse nine. It says, James, uh, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given me. When they recognized the grace given to me. So let's go back to your calling. What God has called you to do. So so Paul did not go to people to ask. You know, will you please tell me who I am? Will you please tell me what to do? And I go to a rest home about every week, and there's a woman who, you know, uh, Alzheimer's, I'm not quite sure. Um, but uh, she's always, uh, you know, pretty much yelling, somebody please tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, she's just doing something that's very apparent, but a lot of, but I say a majority of people do that. They don't know what to do. They're always looking to somebody else to tell them what to do or who they are because they don't have that firm or, or you know, that firm uh, foundation in Christ Jesus to be able to go to God and says, God, please tell me who I am and what to do. Please show me the way, the truth, and the life so I can live according to how you created me to be. So Paul was saying, Paul sought God and knew that he was called to the Gentiles. He wanted to be called to the Jews, and it took a little time for him to see clearly that God was not going to call him to the Jews Although later on he was able to speak greatly to the Jews, but in the beginning he had to speak to the Gentiles, which is very difficult for Paul to do because Paul lived a life of Jew, and you just didn't have friendship with Gentiles. Gentiles were dirty; they were, you know, sinful, all kinds of things. It was just something you just didn't do. But anyway, Paul had sought God, and then then he believed God and went out, and the grace of God was upon his life. So Peter, James, and John, you know, uh, they began to see. Uh, Paul walking in that grace and so they acknowledge what God was doing in Paul's life and so that what needs to happen to you and me we need to seek God so the grace of God shows in our life and people around us our pastors our teachers you know our, our parents or our friends may see the grace of God in our life and they can confirm wow God is using this area but but that's the way it needs to happen we need to uh, go to God and get that confidence from him rather than from trying to get it from one another because we're all we're all looking for that confidence, and that confidence only comes through in Jesus Christ. So let's hop, skip, and jump. We're going down to, uh, I guess, right before verse 13. He says, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. You know what I'm doing? I'm just pulling out phrases here. Um, so, so, he, so he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. We can be afraid of those. We can be afraid of the religious group or the circumcised group today. You know, back to circumcision. Circumcision group back then was an outer circumcision of, of men to show that they had a covenant with God. Well, nowadays, the circumcision group is an outer appearance of religion, an outer appearance of loving God, but having a, having a form of holiness, but denying the power, power thereof. So maybe be going to church all the time, maybe reading the Bible or, or having long prayer meetings or doing all those things. But, but 
but the inside, they don't have the fruit of the Spirit. They're not growing in Christ Jesus. They're just growing in rituals and religiosity and all these things. And they want to force everybody else. They're not, they have no kindness. They have no gentleness. They have no you know, mercy or long-suffering towards people who are weak in faith. They're always saying you need to have more faith and you need to have more faith. Which, where is your faith? And Jesus, so he said those things, but Jesus was full of mercy. He said, I'll have mercy over judgment. And But these people I'm talking about, they don't have much mercy unless, you know, it can be used for their benefit. It says, so we can be afraid of those people who are demanding we do all these religious things. Well, you're not a Christian if you're not coming to church every day. And certainly we need to go to church and we need to become a fellow believers more than more than ever. You know, Paul talks about as dark as the days get, you know, evil, we need to, you know, get together more often. But people are telling you, demanding you come to church often. They come to church, but they're not coming to see God. They're not coming to hear from God. They're not coming to be directed by God. It's just out of work. It's appearance of of religiosity, appearance of religion that has no power whatsoever to change a person. And we can be intimidated by those people because the whole world has an appearance of what of, of rituals of what Christianity should be. You know, we say Christianity is not a religion, not a rule, not a regulation, but a, a relationship. And all the other religions out there have regulations and you have to live by those regulations, fulfill what those what those, what they what they consider their scripture to do. So same thing. There is a false Christianity. There's a there's a fake one. There's a, a religion that leaves Christ Jesus out. They may even talk about him, but there is no power in what he uh, he has done in their lives. And so that can so we can be uh, afraid of all those religious duties. So let's hop, skip, and jump to verse sixteen. Yep. So uh, so. Um, I guess the middle of verse 16. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So what does that mean by observing the law? It means you can't go to the Ten Commandments and check off all that you did right that day. If we're seen to be saved because he kept all the Ten Commandments today, what happens tomorrow if you only keep nine or seven or five or, you know, or so forth? We cannot do that. We can only look through Jesus Christ to see that we're justified. We can only believe that he kept all the law and because he kept all the law, we put our trust in him that he's that he's able to keep the law again, you know, in us and through us. So we're not looking to the law. We may look at the law and see if we're coming falling short, but we're not looking to the law to condemn us and we're not looking to the law to justify us. I like to read the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and see the law, but it's not to justify myself or to condemn myself. It's to see where I'm coming short on the love of God, where I'm coming short on the love of people. You know, it says love God and love people is is the fulfillment of, of all the law of Moses and the prophets. Why was the law brought up? It was one to show that we're not how we're, where we're not loving God and not loving people. Where we, why we need Christ Jesus. So let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 21 in chapter 2 of Galatians. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God. So is it possible to set aside the grace of God? I like to use that kind of like the, the gift cards because gift cards is a big industry. And the reason it's a big industry is because a lot of people set aside the gift cards. And so they make free money. You know, the gift cards are never used to buy products or services. And so the company makes gets free money by people buying gift cards and giving to somebody. And that person sets it aside. Well, God gives grace. God gives grace lavishly. God gives grace to the humble. and too, But too often, you know, we take that grace and set it aside. Grace is, uh, is uh, there's several definitions of grace. Just like the dictionary, there's different definitions. Um, but grace, first and foremost, is the power to overcome. When God gives you grace, he gives you the power to overcome. Grace is also an unmerited favor of God, but I think that's number two, not number one. You know, or you can say God gives us unmerited favor by simply giving us the power to overcome, you know, even though we don't deserve it because we've broken the law so many times. We've hurt people so many times. We've hurt, the, you know, hurt God so many times. But we do not, but I do not set aside the grace of God. When, there, when God convicts you on sin, he's, you know, he's doing it and He's giving you grace to overcome. He's not trying to condemn you. He's giving you a way out. He's giving you a way to stop and, and to move on. And at that time, He's giving you the grace. If God convicts you on something, He's not condemning you. If He convicts you on something, then you, then you can also receive the grace to stop that, to, you know, to, to put an end to that sinful behavior or, you know, and so forth. But if you do not, if you just you know, say, God, forgive me, and a lot of people ask for God's forgiveness, but don't ask for repentance. And it says repentance is, you know, we receive repentance for the, for the forgiveness of God. 
if we end up sitting inside the grace of God, if all we do is, you know, year after year, go, you know, day after day, month after month, year after year, say, God, please forgive me, then we're sitting inside the grace of God because we're not receiving that grace, which is the power to overcome, to overcome that sin so that sin no longer has us as a servant, as a slave. So let's not set aside the grace of God. Hop, skip, and jump. We're in chapter 3. we got to move it because we've got like 18 minutes left. Verse 2 says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. So Paul is kind of intense in this, you know, in the book of Galatians. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? You know, many times, you know, people believe it's by faith that we get saved and all of a sudden you're back to the law that you got to maintain your own salvation, that you're saved today and lost tomorrow if you don't keep all the rules of God. But you don't know all the rules of God before you're saved and you certainly don't know all the rules of God after you get saved. So salvation, true salvation, eternal salvation is, is staying in Christ Jesus and never going back to the law, never going back to your own ways, never going back to your own, you know, your own abilities to try to make it into heaven. But here he's saying you're trying to go back to observing the law. Are, are you trying to observe the law or receiving what you heard? The same way you got saved means the same way you got born again, the same way you receive eternal life is the same way you get healed. It's the same way, you, you, you know, you get better relationships. It's the same way. Anything received from God has to come by hearing and believing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Everything has to come by faith. Everything. You know, there is, if you try to do works first, if you try to work the principles of God without the faith of God, then you're going to fall short. You're not going to be able to accomplish and get what you want. You cannot observe the law. There's, you know, the law says if you do these things, then this will result. Well, that's not going to, you know, that's not going to happen, you know, without faith. Because we trust in God. We, we put our faith in God. We believe that he's going to accomplish us, you know, accomplish his good work and will in us. And so we put that faith in it. Next thing we do, we are obeying the law even, without even trying it because our faith is not in our ability to obey the law. Our faith is in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we have the ability, the power to overcome. And now we're doing those things and we receive it not by works, not by the sweat of our brow, but because we believe that God is well able and willing to accomplish in our life a good thing hallelujah let's hop skip and jump to verse 5 it says does god give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard so he says it again everything has to be by faith faith without works is dead but works has to come second not first you cannot work and then have faith you you know, you must have faith because your faith is in Christ Jesus and not yourself. You're able to accomplish the works of God. The disciples asked Jesus, how can we accomplish the works of God? And Jesus' response was, believe. Because without believing, you cannot accomplish the works of God. It's God who, who wills to do his perfect work in us. We cannot do it without God. You know, it must be him. And so we must put our faith in him and his ability to work inside us, work out inside us what, uh, what needs to be done. Hop, skip, and jump down to verse, into uh, verse 11. It says, the righteous will live by faith. Some scriptures says the righteous will walk by faith and so forth. So that's written in scripture quite a few times, but that's just one reference. Let's go down to verse 16. It says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. That seed being Jesus Christ. And goes on, the scriptures does not say any, does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed. It's in Jesus Christ, which is that seed. We put our uh, trust in Jesus Christ, and he'll bring about, about those things. Verse 18, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. And this is a big trouble for Christians, as they believe by faith that they're forgiven of their sins. They believe by faith that they're going to go you know, into eternity, into heaven with Jesus Christ. But there's so many other things they believe by law. Like, so how do I prosper? How do I get healed? And they, and they start putting, and they start looking at the law. Okay, I missed this, 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 I missed this. And so they're always disqualifying yourself from the very thing that God wants to give them because they're trying to observe the law rather than, rather than put their you know, trust in observing Christ. And yes, yeah, certainly God, if you go to Christ, put your trust in God to heal you or anything else, and he's showing you the door, showing you how you're remaining sick, that's one thing. You know, we can trust God. If he's showing us a door that needs to be closed, then we can know we can close that door and receive what he has for us. 
but, but, but we try too often to, to, we leave God out of it, leave his counsel out of it, and we try to look towards the law and see all the things we're missing. I'm telling you, there's always going to be something we're missing, so we're always going to be left short of what we're looking for because we're not putting God and God all first and foremost in our life. So if, if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. It's got to be promised. We've got to believe in those promises. Verse 24 says, Oh, let's go to verse 22. It says, But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. The whole world is a prisoner of sin. People are not basically good. People are basically selfish. Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, necessarily evil. So, you know, we, evil we think about satanic. You know, there's uh, there's a philosophy or belief, you know, it's been around for thousands of years that there's three kinds of people in this world. There is the people, the you know, the good people that are looking to be good. Uh, there's, you know, that, you know, there, there's, a, there's, you know, I guess the righteous people, let's say the righteous people who are looking towards Jesus Christ or looking towards the Father, you know, then there's people that are trying to be good. They just don't know what is good. And then there's the evil people that don't care that, it, that they just come to kill, steal and destroy. But the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So even if, so even if you are, uh, quote, an unquote, good person. You know, looking to do good, you're still a prisoner of sin. And the only way to not become a prisoner of sin or to stay as a prisoner of sin is to give your life over to Jesus Christ so he could break that bondage as he did on the cross for all of us. I'll skip and jump to verse 24. It says, The law was put in charge to lead us in Christ, so we might be justified by faith. Now the faith has, has come. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. So why was the law given to us to put us in charge to lead us to Christ? Because if we're not in Christ, then the supervision is under the law. So a lot of people say, well, let's do away with the law. We don't need the law. We're not under the law anymore. That we need to be preaching the good news. A lot of people say, well, I just preach the good news. Well, good, you know, good, good news is good, but it's only good. It's a, it's a subjective. Not everybody thinks the good news is good. Not everybody thinks what Jesus did on the cross is, is a good thing. And so what happens when somebody doesn't think good is good? And the scripture just says some, there'll be a day when people call good evil and evil good. Well, you bring them the bad news. If you bring somebody the bad news, maybe they reconsider and see that what Jesus did for us on that cross is good news. And so how do we bring the bad news? We bring up the law. It says, so the law was not was put in charge to lead us to Christ. You know, you're not going to look for a Savior unless you know you, you need a Savior. And there's way too many people who don't see their need for a Savior because there is no, because there's, they have no knowledge of sin. It says the law brings the knowledge of sin. The law doesn't bring the knowledge of God. Jesus Christ brought the knowledge of God. The law brings the knowledge of sin. And so people who don't know that they're sinners need to have the law brought up so they know they're, that they're sinners and in need of a savior and in need of a defense attorney, you know, in need of a lawyer so they may call out to Jesus Christ. When, they, when you know you need a savior and present the gospel, then they're a whole lot more likely to receive it because they're looking for a savior. And so if somebody doesn't receive the good news, I have to go into the bad news. People just won't receive the good news. They remember when Jesus talked about the guy in hell, talked about Lazarus, who was a, a poor sick man and the rich man. The rich Lazarus went to hell, but the poor uh, poor Lazarus who was sick went into um, Abraham's bosom. And there was a great chasm between the paradise and the hell. And that um, rich man, you know, said, uh, was trying to get Lazarus, you know, uh, for Abraham to send Lazarus down. But he also said, you know, go up and at least tell my brothers, you know, that uh, that there is a hell. You know, and, and Abraham responded to him, says that, you know, if, if, they, if they don't believe in the, in the law of Moses, which points to, a, 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 you know, a judgment, if they don't believe in the law of Moses, they're certainly not going to believe a man raised from the dead. So if people are not looking for a savior, they're not going to believe Jesus is a savior, because why would they? They're, they don't believe they need one. And so we need so we need to know how to use the law and use it lawfully. We're not using the law to condemn people, but we also but we do need to use the law to show people their need for their need for a savior. And so if somebody doesn't believe the good news, and I always lead off the good news, but when but they go to the point where I don't believe that I'm a good person, then I go into the law. Jesus sent out disciples two by two and says, "Go into and greet the house, and if, if and if they greet back, then." You know, then then leave your peace and stay. But they don't. Then then take back your peace and 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 leave and dust off your feet and tell them it's better for you know better than Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for this city. So there is a time to bring up the bad news if the good news is not particularly good to them. And so so the supervision of the law. Let's go to verse twenty-eight. It says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. 
So, so God has no respect of a person. You know, God did have a chosen race, and he still has a chosen race called the Jews, but it wasn't because he favored them because of what they did. In fact, they're the least of all. In some places, they even sinned worse than the rest of the world is. But God had to use somebody, and he chose the least of them all to show his great great worth and value and purpose in, in saving us and loving us. But we're in Christ Jesus. God doesn't love a Jew more than he loves us. God does not love me more than he loves you. God does not love Billy Graham more than he loves you. God does not love Billy Graham more than he loved Charles Manson or, or Hitler or, or so, forth, so forth. God does not love Peter, James, or John more than he loves us. God is no respecter of person. God is love, not because of us, because he, of who he is. You know, God is you know, God is love and God does love, but God does love because he is love. <laughs> And so, you know, God's love is not dependent on your behavior or my behavior. We cannot do anything to gain more of God's love, and we can't do anything to lessen God's love. Now, we can do things, you know, either, you know, good or bad for us to, to, uh, to discern or to see or to feel that love, but God's love does not change any more than the sun changes when there's clouds in the sky. The sun comes up every single day. We may say the sun's not out today, but that's not really true. It's just the clouds are, are covering it. And there's many times we don't feel the love of God, but that's not true either, because many times it's just doubt and unbelief that's that's blocking us from feeling God's love. But God is neither respect or God is, there's is no longer Jew or Greek. God is not separating us. We're not in groups or camps. God is not separating us by skin color. God is not separating us by gender. God is not separating us by you know political you know groups. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are in Christ Jesus. There is no Democrat or Republican or Independent or or anything. There is no black, yellow, brown, red, and white. God does see all the colors and they're precious in His sight. But there is, He's not favoring one over another. God doesn't favor the smart or their intelligent over, over you know, the, the uh, unintelligent or the uneducated. God does not favor the strong over the weak. does not favor the poor over the rich. You know, I live in society where people think, you know, them being poor, God favors. Well, God, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall, you know, for they shall. I mean, God loves them, but but God is not in you know God in favor. Does God doesn't choose the poor over the rich? God chooses those who have who believe in Him, who who, who put their faith in Him. You know, God does not favor those who you know who are just old criny whiny babies and and always begging God for forgiveness when He's already given it to us. We seem to think that you know, poor in spirit does not mean that. The poor in spirit means we understand our 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 need uh, you know to be with Christ Jesus. We understand our dependency on God. And, and so forth. That's what makes us poor in spirit, not some physical thing and not some, you know, disastrous thing, but, but knowing that we can do nothing without Christ Jesus. So all of us, you know, in Christ Jesus, God does not love us more. God does not love a Christian more than he loves, you know, lo loves a sinner and so forth. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's go on to chapter 4. Verse 6, because you are sons of God, sent, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. We, you know, we're always praying that Jesus come to our heart. Actually, Jesus is in a physical body. You know, remember when, uh, when, uh, when the disciples, uh, uh, Thomas put his hand in his, in his side, in his hands, and how Jesus also ate some fish on the beach. Jesus has a physical body, and so Jesus is actually sitting physically, you know, on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us and preparing a place for us. But it's the spirit of his son, which is the Holy Spirit that comes and lives, lives in our hearts. Verse 9, so but now that you know God, or rather are known by God. Now why would Paul say that? But now that you know God, or rather known by God. Well, I learned this when I began ministering the first uh, uh, five, seven years I was on the, you know, got saved. I was, on, had a, I was in the street ministry and we went out and hand out sack lunches to who was ever in the street down in uh, downtown Oklahoma City. Rather you would be homeless or a gangbanger or, or a prostitute or somebody going to the bus station or somebody just walking around. We'd stop and, and, and minister and ask if somebody wanted, you know, a sandwich or something to drink and so forth. But many times would ask him, you know, ask him, do you know God? Do you know Jesus? And the answer most of the time was yes. So I began seeing in scripture where Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. So I began to ask, so I changed my question, does God know you? And all of a sudden that, you know, people weren't able to ask 
or, or, or to reply to that question is quick because it, it caught him off guard. Because it's very important, does, does God know you? Does Jesus know you? And some people would say, well, God does know me. He knew, knew me from my, from my mother's womb. But the thing is that Jesus is at the door. Jesus has got to know you. And there's some people that Jesus well, one day will say, I never knew you, you workers of iniquities. Depart from me, you workers of iniquities. So it's important that Jesus knows us. And how does, how does that happen? Well, first thing to know is we can't really know somebody without knowing their, their, their strengths and their weaknesses. So if you want to make sure that God knows you, then you need to go to him in your weakness and show and say, I need a savior. I need a Lord. I need somebody to tell me what to do. You know, I, I cannot plan my own life. I cannot live a life that's worthy without you in my life. That is sharing your weakness. That is sharing with God what you need him for. And that builds a relationship. And so he knows you. And of course, he knows you without you even you know, saying that, but this is not the knowing what he's talking about. So we need to share with God why we need him so that he knows us. There's an, I stop, skip, and jump to, because God knows us, our strengths and our weaknesses. He gave us a strength, and he also gave us a weakness. And when there's an inherent weakness in us that, that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, you know, that's just something we cannot be overcome because that is something that was created in creation. Hop, skip, and jump to verse... Uh, 16 says, I have now become your enemy by telling you the truth. So get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. If you're a Christian and you want to go out and save the world, know this, that you're going to have some enemies by telling them the truth. By telling them how much you love them, how much God loves them, you're going to get some enemies. <laughs> so just be ready. You cannot love people, you know, um, and not also have enemies. In fact, you can't really know what love is until you actually do love your enemies. Because it's easy to love those who love you, as Jesus said. So if you want to walk a life with Christ and you know you're going to have some enemies, and it has nothing to do with you. It just has to do with who you become in Christ Jesus. Verse 19, my dear children, um, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So not only... Are we born again? Using that, using that, you know, thing about being born again. Unless you're born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. You must be born of water and fire to enter the kingdom of God. So, so Paul is once again praying that Jesus Christ is formed in us. So that, because many times, I mean, when you're first saved, people don't always know that you're a Christian. Now, people, you know, some of us are radically saved, like I was. So, so when people knew immediately, whoa, you're a new creation, you're a new person. Even sinners knew I was not the same person. The story I'll tell you sometime. But a lot of people are, are become born again and nobody knows it for a year or two years or so forth because because Christ is not formed in them. You know, it's you know, maybe they received a soft gospel or not taught about discipleship, maybe only taught about conversion and not discipleship and so forth. And so they never learn. So Christ is not formed in them. Just like we're all just like God has created both male and female, man and and you know, there's only two genders. You know, in the real world, if you live in a fantasy world, then I guess you can make up as many genders as you want. But in the real world, God created male and female, um, a man and a, and a woman. And so a boy has a man in him. A, a girl has a woman in him, but it's not formed in him. You know, a, a man does not become a man until he ages to that time. You know, I have a, a nephew who's 12 years old and he's becoming a man. He's getting ready to turn 13 and 13 to 19 is the teen years. It's where you be learning how to become a man at 20, you know. Jesus was talking to, you know, to, uh, I was talking to Joshua and saying everybody who's, you know, 20 and over is not going to go into the promised land. So it seems to be a certain age where God considers you physically a man, although some people, you know, don't ever, ever, you know, ever form the man in them. They may have physical attributes of a man and so forth, but they never have it inside them. The same thing here. There's some Christians that never get to the point where Christ is formed in them. They never grow up in Christ and so forth. And Paul is talking about this ought not to be. So he goes, he goes into labor. He goes into great prayer and 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 you know, and confession of the word and preaching and teaching, so that Christ is formed in them, so that we're mature Christians and not always a boy in a man's body, and and we want Christ to be formed in us. So let's hop, skip, and jump to chapter five. Um, talking about mark my words, I Paul tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Talking about those people, not you know, the circumcision of, of a man being circumcised is not good and bad. It's you know, it's a good healthy thing, but it's no longer a, it's not a, something that says you're you're in you know covenant with God through this. And the same thing nowadays, 
you know, if you go to church or you don't go to church or you go to, the, you know, read the Bible and so forth. If you're just going to church just to go to church or reading the Bible, just going to the Bible, then Christ has no value to you. The church should lead you to the to to the head of the church, which is Christ Jesus. The word of God should lead you to Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're always learning but never coming to the truth. You're always looking for scripture, but he the scripture points to me and here I am and you don't and you don't notice me. So you can do all this religious stuff, but it means nothing. Christ has no value to you. Hop, skip, and jump. You know, no, actually, let's just keep going. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So falling away from grace doesn't mean, you know, taking the offering and running or taking the church secretary and having an affair with her. But falling from grace means turning away from the simplicity of the gospel that Jesus is all in all, that our faith is completely in him because our faith is complete in him. Works is, is, the, is the fruit of that, the fruit of righteousness and so forth. But you have fallen from grace as soon as you look towards the law, as you soon look towards anything, even our own self-made, you know, self-imposed law rather than Christ Jesus. It goes on to say at the in the verse six, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So if you're going to church, great, but it doesn't matter if if you if you're not having faith expressed through love. You need to read the Bible, but if you're reading the Bible day in and day out, and you're not having anything, you're not having faith expressed by love, then you're in a religious, you know, into religiosity and not really giving yourself to Christ. And Christ is, has not formed in you. Christ is not not growing up in you. Let's hop, skip, and jump down to verse 14. Or, uh, there's a phrase that says, Love your neighbor yourselves. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, you will be destroyed by each other. So we don't want to do those things. Verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, you know, we don't look to the law to lead us. We don't look to the law, you know, to command us what we do every day. But if we're going to walk by the Spirit, it's, just, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to bring things up. Many times I get ready to do something, the Holy Spirit puts a check in me. You don't want to do this. This is not a, a right thing to do. It says those who are mature in spirit discern between good and evil. You can't just know good and evil. You can't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil to know what's knowledge of good and evil. Because the only way to do that is you've got to test out the fruit to see if this is good or is this bad. But if you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to know what's good and evil without going through the trials, uh, you, know, te- you know, trials of finding out if it's good or bad. God will put a check in your spirit not to do something. And it's hop, scooping down, hop, hop, skip, and jump down to the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which against there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature and its passion and desires. You want to know where the fruit of the Spirit is? That's where it is. And it says those who belong to Christ Jesus is crucified. So there is a something else for to do. Because our faith is in Christ Jesus, we follow through and crucify ourselves. We let the things of our flesh die. We put the things that are, that are against God to death, not by our own might or our own power, but by His Spirit, says the Lord. We do those things. Uh, we have no confidence of flesh. You cannot. We cannot... We, you cannot trust our flesh to put the flesh down. You cannot trust a fox to, you know, to, to protect the chickens. And so, so we use the power of God to crucify our flesh and not ourselves. We use the word of God to crucify our flesh, not just trying to use a rubber band and, you know, and snapping it. You know, that may keep you away from something for, for, for a season or two, but we need to use the word of God that separates, you know, and it says the word of God separates spirit and soul, or you can say spirit and flesh. Chapter 6, if someone is caught in a sin, you are spiritual, should restore him gently, gently. So we need to make sure that we don't, you know, think more highly of ourselves and think that we're not possible or capable of committing some sin. We need to do it gently. It goes on to say why. But watch yourself or you'll also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens in ways that you will fulfill the law of Christ. It goes on and says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So if you think that you're better than the person, better than the Christian fallen, that you would never do such a thing, then you're not the person to restore that person gently because you are capable. There is no temptation in common to man. The same temptations that come upon me are the same things that you can be tempted of. If in the right circumstances, in the right situation, you may not be tempted in certain things, but if the right circumstances come, you can be tempted in those areas. The big two sins in the church nowadays is 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 homosexuality and and and, and abortion and there's good reason because those are two sins that fight back. But nevertheless, we've kind of made those as the the ultimate sins, and we you know we look down and condemn like how could you become a homosexual? Well, all there's no temptation in common to man. If the circumstances are right, you may have chosen to be a homosexual, or or I may, may have chosen if the circumstances were 
we're predisposed in that way. We don't know why some people choose that way or that way, but there is no temptation in common a man, and we ought not look down. Abortion, well, how could you ever kill a baby? I hope I don't ever do it. I hope there's enough scripture in, in me that wouldn't do that. But there's a lot of people who have committed abortion because they're afraid of being rejected by the church, or they're afraid of because they're raised up in a, you know as a pastor's kid, or because they're raped. I mean, those are not good reasons to have an abortion, but they're somewhat understandable if you're in that situation. And so we cannot condemn, you know, we can condemn the act, we shouldn't condemn the person. We shouldn't be looking down on a person, so no matter what they commit, because they didn't do anything that we are not capable of doing, if not for the Christ Jesus being formed in us. If Christ Jesus was not formed in us, you are able to commit a, uh, commit fornication. You are able to commit homosexuality. You are able to commit abortion if Christ Jesus is not formed in you, no matter how big and bad and honest and true you think you are. So let's be gentle on correcting those around us. Um, Hop skipping jump to verse 7 in chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So if you're wondering where that is, because that's a, a scripture quoted most often, that's there. It says verse 10 says, Therefore, we as we have our opportunity, let us to do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Our first our first concern ought to be for the church, for those who are, are doing the will of God, for those who love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength in their neighbor's self. When I came to the church, I quickly learned that the church was not always a safe place. There was a lot of wolves and sheep clothing. There was a lot of sheep who were, not, who were goats. You know, there was a lot of backbiting, a lot of stuff. And I began to separate myself and I began to care more for people in the world and looking for the sinners and not caring so much for those who are in church. That God had to get me, and this is one scripture he used to get me, that we need to be looking, we need to first help those believers, those who are growing in Christ Jesus. You know, we need to be, also be a good Samaritan, but first we need to look at those people in the church and help them. Verse 12 says, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Those who want to make a good impression, they make sure all their religious duties are checked off and they have four stars and everybody knows it. We all need to read the Bible, but we, we don't need to brag about how much we need the Bible. We all need to go to church more and more often, but we, need, we don't need to tell everybody just how faithful we are. Because the scripture says, who is faithful? Certainly not the people who are saying they're faithful all the time. Verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. So no matter what religious duties you do, you do and there is, um, there is certain things that we need to do to... to um, to grow in to grow in our faith in Christ Jesus, but if we're using those Christian disciplines as a means and or as 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 the ends and not the means to know Christ Jesus better, then it mean then 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 it has it's no good. It's not offering us anything. It's not offering the kingdom of God us anything. It's not helping us whatsoever. What counts of going to church is that we're growing in faith and love towards one another, towards God, towards people. What counts of us Bible reading, what counts is our praying that we're being changed inside out to be a better vessel and a better use for God and a more loving creation. And verse 18 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ means the power to come. So the power to come, our Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. AdultBabaStories.com